reflecting on the way it is, just the sound of silence here in this temple, the breathing, the body sitting, temperature, what do you feel, hot or cold, state of mind, and uh, Bhutto, the knower. Now this mantra, Bhutto, very much uh, the, the hallmark of the Thai forest tradition. You go to Wat Ba Pong or Wat Ban Tat or any of the Ajahn Man places, then <coughs> Bhutto is a kind of mantra. And so this is a, this two-syllable word is the name of the Buddha. Sister Bodhipala told me that uh, in Cambodia it's used like an exclamation, exclamation like it, if something happens you're surprised, you say, puto, you know, like, God. <laughs> or Christians say, Jesus Christ, or Cambodians say, Puto. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, that was interesting. Even, the, even their exclamation is, is good, good Dhamma. But then, uh, the, th the thing that, uh, that I found very interesting in the way that that particular tradition teaches is that they, uh, they translate puto into Thai as puru. Puru, is, puru always means uh, uh, the, the being itself, the being uh, knowing. So the one who knows, translated into English, or that which knows, or the knowing, even the, even the, you know, the, the one is not quite right, or even pu, and puru is not, you know, not, but these are just doing the best with language. His language is clumsy, you know, basically it's a clumsy, uh, artifice that we were very attached to. So we're, instead of just trying to to think and get it at thinking accurate, uh, we're using thinking, the thinking process, for reflection, not for contemplating the meaning of words, uh, you know, and trying to find exact equivalents uh, in English or Thai for the Pali word itself. But to see the see the reality behind the word, what is Bhutto right now? So superstition then would come in. The, is the, this is Buddha Rupa? Uh, you know, it's a it's a holy object, and it and it reads my mind when I sit in front here, and and this this the Buddha sitting up there, and he's looking at me, and and he knows everything. He's the one who knows. That's that's a superstition, isn't it? Where I'm projecting onto an object something that, that I create, a power that it doesn't have. So I'm, 
I'm empowering that image to whenever, I, you know, I come in contact with it, it's suddenly, you know, I feel, oh, there's the Buddha looking at me again, kind of feeling. So one becomes conditioned or habituated to that way of thinking and projecting onto the material world and the objective world around us, all kinds of things, powers or qualities or abilities. But we don't, we don't get to the source. What is, what is it that projects out, that, that uh, projects that kind of perception into that image? And this is why we, we, uh, we're getting to the source, the puto. Puto is a, you know, so it's not, you're not, it's not a projection or a belief. But recognizing that knowing, this is the, this experience of being born into a separate form like a human body that's conscious. Consciousness is, is knowing, isn't it? You, you're separate, you see, we're seemingly separate entities incarcerated in these human forms. But we're not bronze or marble images. You know, we're not, we are uh, these very transient changing uh, elements. Earth, fire, water, air. We're, we're blood and guts, skin and bones, and all the rest, you know, the nerves and the, all the watery, slimy mucus elements and the solid and the heat. We're fire, you know, we're, we're on fire all the time, the heat in the body, the fire, air. This is what we're, we're experiencing right now. These elements operating. Why, why do you feel hot or cold at this moment, you know? What is it? The Buddha Rupa doesn't feel anything. He told me so. <laughs> And how do you know you're, you're feeling uh, hot or cold right now? It's consciousness, isn't it? If you're unconscious, you wouldn't know the difference. <clears throat> consciousness, and you're aware of the, whether you're feeling hot, cold, or just right. So that's a knowing, and, and this consciousness knowing. And this is the way it is in terms of Dhamma. Not, this is not personal or uh, judged in any way. Not saying it's good or bad, but it is like this. It's the way it is. Then I put into it, I feel hot or I feel cold. And that's something I add. I don't have to say that or think that, I can still feel hot or cold. You know, there's still consciousness and the, and this human form of the four elements and there's a knowing of it. <clears throat> Before I start claiming that is, I feel hot, I feel cold, my body is like this, it's too cold or too hot or whatever, I feel just fine. No, this is this is like the the addition of human 
human language concept that we, we, we identify, we claim the experiences that we're having as, as some kind of personal, in some personal way, and judged according to right, wrong, good and bad. Or how it should be, or shouldn't be. Trying to create this, this temple so it's got perfect control over temperature. Look what happened. You know, temp fairly new temple, modern high-tech, good architect, everything set up to have perfect control over the temperature. Underfloor heating. And when it works, it's excellent. But <laughs> See how frustrated one can get because you can't, you know, no matter how hard we try to, to get it perfect, it doesn't, you know, you can't sustain perfection. Things change and move in all kinds of ways that, that from this point of consciousness that I'm at right now, I can't have no knowledge of. So that's the way it is, you know, it's just the, the noticing, it's not justifying or, or uh, just passive resignation to misery. It's just recognizing this is the way it is. This is the way it's always been. This realm is like this. This realm of the four elements, consciousness, planet Earth, human body is like this. And so <coughs> it's, it's to keep reflecting on the way it is because uh, so many of us have this cultural attitude of trying to make things perfect without understanding or recognizing the way it is. We've got an ideal of a perfect temple, perfect temperature, perfect system, perfect health, and all the rest. Those are ideals. But you notice the Buddha always pointing to, I am subject to aging. I have not gone beyond aging, that kind of thing. It's kind of reminding that, that this is, this is the, the reality of change, movement and change that we're experiencing very directly every moment. So knowing the way it is, 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 uh, is Bhutto, the one who knows or the knowing, or being the knowing, rather than the one who's, who's knowing, because that, that gets the point, but it's still like it's somebody. Because it's knowing is just the natural experience of consciousness in a form. And, and so, you know, the, the subject-object relationship is is uh, is what we're experiencing here. I'm I'm sitting here, and you're an object. I see you. You're objects. You're in all of you in this temple. The temple itself is in consciousness. In putting it in the banal terms of ordinary speech, my consciousness. 
Now, most of the time, you know, when, before I ever contemplated the way it is, I always assumed consciousness was in, in me, in my form. You know, so, you know, it's in my brain or something like that. It's just, I never really thought about it that much. Because the, the cultural conditioning and the assumptions we make from that are, you know, based on, on the conventions and attitudes that, that may not have anything to do with wisdom at all. So, you know, one just assumes that I'm conscious or unconscious. They think that you're in my consciousness or this whole room, this, all of you, sitting here in my consciousness, that's pretty, that's sort of the radical kind of thing to be thinking. Are you in my brain? Or what, when you try and figure it out? So consciousness is something that, you know, can't be confined to an organ of the body, which is the brain. So maybe consciousness isn't, you know, it's this, this expansive. It's maybe the, you know, the whole universe is consciousness itself. Maybe, maybe consciousness is the interconnectedness, the oneness. Now this is a way of questioning. I'm not, I'm trying to, to give answers to questions and define consciousness for you, but just contemplating, you know, and being able to reflect from, from where you are, from the, the body, the mind, the habit, the patterns and that that you're experiencing, and questioning. So then like, like the uh, seeing your own face, you know, I can, I can see your face or I can't see my own. Something that's so obvious that, you know, it almost seems like a joke. But it, it is worth reflecting on why, you know, at this point, this is experience, isn't it? Knowing from consciousness, from this, from this position here, an entity that referred to as Ajahn Sumato, this entity, conscious entity, reflecting on the way it is. Now, with consciousness is in, in the um, immeasurables, the jhanic states that, where the, you have the uh, space, consciousness, nothingness, and neither perception or non-perception. Now these are, these are put in the context of jhanas. And, and how you define jhana, you know, is another thing. Uh, there's uh, so many views about jhanas. And then they tend to be attainments. Have you attained the first jhana yet? And second, and and I'm now really perfecting third jhana. <laughs> I hear the most you know, odious <laughs> comments around jhanas because you know that does seem like you know that in the 
vulgar conventional way of thinking, that's an att those are attainments, something to get, achievements. But in the, in the, uh, <clears throat> when you really look at the developing jhana uh, factors, it's all about relinquishing, isn't it? Relinquishing rather than attaining. Now the immeasurable, like space, how many times have you heard me contemplate space in, in these reflections? Because space is not something that we can't recognize right now at this very moment. Just open your eyes and you notice the space in this temple. So it's it's not it's not a highly attained jhanic state where you uh, you know you you become spaced out. I don't want to become spaced out in the, that sense. You know, it's kind of floating above it all, as we oftentimes we refer to somebody as being spacey. They're not grounded. But just reflecting from the Puru position, from Puto, you know, of space, as uh, as it, as we can recognize it, conscious of space here and now. And so it, you know, this is a good exercise to to experiment with, so that you. You know, what, to see, to notice space is not difficult. It's all around us, it's inside, it's everywhere. It just needs to be noticed. Now to notice Space doesn't mean, you know, it's not annihilating the things in space. I don't have to order you all out of this temple, destroy the temple itself, <laughs> in order to get, uh, to get uh, insight into space, do I? It's ridiculous, because space is, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, blot out anything. It gives perspective on the things. And, where, say, just the, you know, the habitual patterns of liking, disliking, we tend to, to react to the things in the space and we, we approve or disapprove, like or dislike. But space itself is not a, no other quality than spaciousness. And so withdrawing our, our fascination with the things, with the qualities in the space, doesn't mean we, we have to destroy them, but just withdraw our uh, absorption, our attention, our attachment to the things to just observe spaciousness. Now consciousness is like that. We're conscious, you know, consciousness is everywhere. It's not, not a special state uh, depending on other conditions supporting it. This is what we're experiencing all the time. <clears throat> Where refined states, you know, very refined conditions, are very dependent on other conditions. In the middle of a battlefield, you can't, you can't, you can't uh, be refined. 
You've got you've gone to survival, into killing, into coarseness, uh, brutality, or whatever, <coughs> because the condition that there's not, you know, ethereal uh, Garden of Eden where you can sit and just get blissed out in spacey in a battlefield. You know, you've got a it's a matter of life and death. The conditions are different, aren't they? The, in a war, in a battlefield, and in a, in a beautiful uh, celestial garden. So in celestial gardens you feel like this, you know, you can feel this, the beauty, the refinement of conditionality, you know, of refining conditions. And then in the battlefield, you're experiencing the fear and the survival mechanisms uh, and, and the uh, blood and guts and brutality and death that was very frightening, very, you know, what we dread. So these are, um, these are pointing to the two extremes, say, the battlefield and the, in the, uh, and the celestial garden. But whatever, whether the celestial garden or the battlefield, there's still consciousness in space. Isn't it? These are not blotted out by, these are not destroyed or harmed in any way by what goes on in them, whether it's war or peace. So, so you're reflecting on the, you know, the bringing paying special attention to the immeasurable realities that we're experiencing right now, here and now, at this very moment. Space and consciousness. Now when, this is when I really notice the sound of silence. There's alertness and non-attachment. So this, you know, is uh, is just you know beginning to to integrate this. This is a something I've used that that. Uh, where it works in the battlefield or the celestial garden. Once you once you recognize it and cultivate it, in the middle of the battlefield or in the in the middle of London or uh, airports or London Underground or uh, in a in an acrimonious meeting or whatever, in the in the negative unpleasant. Uh, experiences of the conditioned realm or the celestial one. This consciousness has room for everything. It's not, it doesn't pick or choose. It doesn't prefer. But usually we're, we're caught in our reactions to everything. So. In the battlefield, we're frightened and we just get carried away with fear and survival and horror and 
and all the rest, you know, that we overwhelmed on the emotional reactions we have to the conditions. Or in the celestial garden, maybe we're just so high, you know, we, oh, why can't life be like this all the time, you know? Why can't human beings, the lion and the lamb, lie together in peace? And uh, why can't everything be love and, and beauty? You know, and we, we, we kind of bathe in the, in the, the bliss, the celestial bliss. And then we, uh, you know, we, we don't, aren't aware of what we're doing. We're merely indulging in, in the beauty of refinement. We're not reflecting on it, on the way it is. That refinement, condi refined conditions are beautiful, yes. But they're also impermanent and dependent. You know, so, so that, that is a way of, of putting into perspective the very best uh, uh, and the very worst. And our refuge then is not in, in conditioned phenomena, but in awareness, which is the gate to the deathless. It's this awareness that we actually uh, find liberation not by controlling the conditioned realm anymore, but by understanding it. Because we find our real refuge is in Bhutto, in knowing, intuitive awareness, in wisdom, oneness. It's not personal, <clears throat> not to be claimed as in some personal way. Now, in uh, <coughs> attachment and non-attachment, or dhanha upadana, these these kind of terms in the Paticca Samuppada, pasta vedana dhanha upadana. Bhava, Jati, Jana, Maranang, and so forth. This is, now notice in the, in this process, avicca, the beginning of the Paticca Samuppada, avicca bhajaya sankara, sankara bhajaya vinyana. Now that, avicca is the, you know, the ignorance of the Dhamma, not knowing the way things are, operating merely out of conditioned habits, out of cultural conditioning, out of the thinking process, out of the self, uh, never, never questioned self-identity. Uh, you know, when, when there's, when there's Sakyaditi Silabhata Bharamasa Vichikicca, then that affects everything that we experience. Avicca. <clears throat> ignorance then affects everything uh, our experience of life whatever we're doing you know sitting standing walking lying down breathing in the battlefield in the celestial garden we we interpret everything out of ignorance it's a uh, me and mine what i like approve of what should or shouldn't be right and wrong good and bad 
So, you know, that's just the, the, the basic delusion of, uh, in the first three fetters, these, these very uh, artificial creations <coughs> that we, we never question or understand how to use them. We merely become them. We, we, we operate from ignorance. And then, of course, we experience the result of ignorance, which is soka parite wa tukatoma nasa upayasa, grief, sorrow, despair, and anguish, or suffering. So this is, uh, you know, this is a reflection on the way it is. When there's a vicha, then there's going to be suffering. Dukkha. A vicha and dukkha, they go together. And then when there's a vicha, that effect infects everything. You know, so, uh, avicha bhajaya sankhara. Conditioned phenomena. You know, when there's a vicha, then conditioned phenomena is no longer seen in terms of dhamma. We see it in terms of good, bad, right, and wrong. What should or shouldn't be. And so then, you know, in consciousness, of sankara bhajaya vinyana, nama rupa salayatana pasa vedana, and so forth, the whole thing goes, you know, if you follow the, the, uh, the words, of Paticca Samapada, always everything ends up as Sokapari Tukatomanat Upayasa, which is suffering. It's a long, long way of saying suffering. <laughs> well, how could it be otherwise? You know, how could it be other than that? If we're, if we're always operating from Sakya Ditti, you know, if that's how we experience life, always from Sakya Ditti, then that infects everything. You know, everything is, is around, you know, affecting me personally in some way. You know, the Buddha Rupa, the temple, monks and nuns, lay people, the weather, the changes of seasons, why does it have to get cold? Why? <laughs> uh, too windy, or too much this, or too many people here, or too. Uh, how it should be, you know? A monastery should be, and we've got an idea of what, how we'd like a Buddhist monastery to be, and who we approve of, who we think is a really good meditator, and who is not, and. And we get into our conceits and opinions and views, and and then of course this is this is the the realm that that is the dukkha. You know, wherever you are, you you can't you your your condition, your program to always pick on the thing that annoys you, the thing that upsets you, the thing that shouldn't be. So when we started this retreat, you know, Josh offered to not use the lawnmower while we're meditating in the temple. <laughs> Very sweet of him. But actually, you know, I don't mind even if he uses the lawnmower because that's good for us. Because you don't want the lawnmower, do you? If, if suddenly, you know, we're sitting here in the morning and Josh is mowing the lawn on uh, this, this loud machinery, 
and I'm sure all of you are going, it's ruining my practice. <laughs> you don't get it. <laughs> you don't get it at all if, if you actually believe that and operate from that. That's a vicha bhajya sankara that leads to soka pariteva tukatomanath upaya. You want a celestial garden where they don't have lawnmowers, noisy lawnmowers, where fairies and butterflies come down and 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 trim the grass. <laughs> celestial clouds of beautiful butterflies. We wouldn't mind that unless they, you know, they can get in the way and be a nuisance too <laughs> if you want them. You want to look at them like that. So it's, uh, you know, like the way it is, it's not, this is, you know, with the sound of the lawnmower, it's not that I, I want that, you know, but if that's what happens, it's not an obstruction. Unless I react with a vicha. Oh, I don't like that. I don't want that sound. We've got to tell him to stop it. It's disrupting my, my samadhi practice. And I get caught into that one. But I always see these as challenges, you know, just <clears throat> listening to the the silence, because it's still, you know, if you really pay attention, relax and observe, puto, and underlying the background of the sound of a noisy lawnmower is the sound of silence. So it's a, a training, you know, kind of using uh, opportunities to, uh, so that you're not become just uh, addicted, bound into tranquility and celestial garden situations. You know, you can, you can move in life. You can, you're not asking for special privileges Or an easy ride on the condition on the condition experience. So consciousness, you know, in when the when the in when the lawnmower or battlefield or the celestial garden or London Underground <laughs> still the same, you know, consciousness isn't changing. The conditions that we're experiencing are changing. And so this is the way, that the puto, knowing the way it is, it's like this. So that your, your, your refuge is in puto, not in, in uh, a, an ideal or refined conditioned uh, situation anymore. Because that is, uh, you can't, you know, trying to hold on to a celestial garden is suffering. Wanting life to always be kind and beautiful and, and 
perfect for me is you're bound to be absolutely miserable. You've set yourself up for a life of misery. Because this realm is not like that. This, this realm is like this, isn't it? A human body is not a celestial body. One's body is not, you know, it, is, it doesn't, you know, do they have toilets in celestial gardens? I wonder if Adam and Eve, how they did it in the Garden of Eden, you know. It's the idea of, you know, because when we bring into consciousness the, the human body has experienced. It's not celestial, is it? We try to pretend it is. Modern civilization, being politically correct and all the rest is, is you know, trying to, uh, you know, talk about its functions in, in polite ways and, and co to, to kind of uh, diminish the coarseness that we all experience every day. Through our bodies. So knowing the way it is, is <coughs> and, and seeing that all conditions are impermanent, you know, this is whether, and the con this condition then is, conditions are dependent, changing, impermanent, transient, unsatisfactory. And so there's no condition worth, worth trying to hold up or get or identify with. So that's why I'm emphasizing this retreat, the unconditioned. And then that, the unconditioned is here and now, conscious, like space now. Space is here and now. Whether the lawnmower is going or not doesn't doesn't have any effect on the space. Space is the same. The unconditioned awareness, consciousness, what we experience, what we recognize through awareness, through consciousness and awareness. You know, so then we're, we're beginning to, to recognize or realize the, what I would, would put under that category, the unconditioned. So it's not, it's not a, a, a refined state. It's not, not a celestial state at all. It's like this doesn't seem like much of anything. So nothingness, neither perception nor non-perception, space, consciousness, nothingness, neither perception or non-perception. Try to figure that one out intellectually. Neither perception or non-perception. Gets your brain in a twist, doesn't it? Because thinking itself is perception, isn't it? So if you're trying to figure out neither perception or non-perception with perception, what happens? You get your brain into a twist. <laughs> My Ajahn Chah once asked about Anati, he said, if you try to figure that out intellectually, you, 
your head will explode. <laughs> and uh, you know these are not uh, you know, these are not concepts that that fit into the conditioned logic of thought. But they're intuitive intuitions. They're insight. So when you try to figure them out, you you just you know you you just on that intellectual level, you can write volumes on nothingness or nothing, you know, emptiness. See this volume from Tibetan scholar, huge book on uh, emptiness. <laughs> what can you say about emptiness? <laughs> Except fill it up, fill it up <laughs> with all kinds of uh, abstract ideas or theories or whatever. But pointing, isn't it? This is puto is this word, this mantra. The knowing, being the knowing, and so that's uh, that's just uh, for me. That says, wake up, be aware. This Buddha Rupa here, when I when I you know I look at this Buddha Rupa, it's, it's saying to me, wake up, be aware. <laughs> or this is how I use it, you know, rather than just projecting all kinds of magical powers into it, into this bronze figure. I, I use icons for reflection, puto, because you do, we get carried away with, with the problems of the world, problems of the community, problems of the nuns, problems of the monks, problems of the lay people, problems of the kitchen. Problems of of the what to do after of the katina. Problems of there's always problems. Condition realm is problem. That's its nature. It's not meant to be otherwise. That's the, the that's the dukkha of the condition realm. It's always a problem, and you can't you know you can't have just the celestial garden with lions and lambs. Uh, cuddling up to each other, and that—that's a—that's an ideal. It'd be nice if they did that, I admit. <laughs> but that's not the way it is. It's more normal for a lion to eat the lamb. I'll tell you, if it's hungry. So, uh, and, and so this isn't cynicism, but just noticing that wanting conditions to be something they can't be, that's suffering, isn't it? Wanting lions to feel compassion and friendship with lambs, that's a nice idea. But lions aren't like that. So it's, uh, this is not trying to, to make lions into, you know, beautiful, beautifully tempered, compassionate animals. We spend our lifetime trying to, to uh, you know, train lions to become, to become like lambs. 
but to awaken to to the way things are, the conditioned realm. The law of karma. Why is the world like this now? Why, with all the the advances of civilization, Western science, technology, all these refined and wonderful institutions of democracy and and uh, you know all the kind of best of, that you can think of in terms of how things should be. Why why do the problems seem to increase? And of course you know the you know we think of once we get rid of the Islamic terrorists, get rid of all the terrorists, then we'll have a celestial garden. Everybody and we'll. Everybody will become uh, a Democrat, democratic, and we'll have beautiful relationships with everybody, lions and lambs, friends forever. <laughs> it's just like, that's, you know, that's not, what, that's not the way, the karma of this condition, is of this planet. Not supposed to be like that. So when we, you know, waging war is karma. And when you wage war, what, are you, what is the result of war? Is suffering. You don't create peace through slaughtering every holy enemy. So, you know, we, we use our all these weapons and violent acts and so forth, and we, that's karmic. And then the result of the, the violent karma is, is, you know, fear, suspicion, grief, sorrow, despair, and anguish. I'll say on a moral level, we're, you know, as a, uh, the idea of uh, five precepts, Bhanadibhata, the first precept, not intentionally killing other humans. Now that is, that's good advice, just on a worldly level. You know, this, uh, the first precept of the five precepts. That's not to be scoffed at, or is it just, just used as some kind of Buddhist uh, custom. But that is, uh, you know, we all f are capable of murdering and killing. You know, that's part of our karma, like lions eating lambs. Human beings, you know, we're not, we're not angels that live on ether. Our past, our whole conditioning, we're meat, we can eat meat, we have to kill to survive. We have to, you know, this is part of the human condition. We don't, we don't come from <coughs> the angelic level. So that the, the uh, recognition of, of being human is like this. It's not, not to despise or approve, but to recognize that we all have these kind of instincts. You know, murdering, slaughtering, things like this are not alien to any of us. Maybe emotionally we find, you know, we don't like that or don't approve, but 
given the conditions, we might all resort to it, to, to brutality. But then in, uh, say, taking the five precepts, bana, the first precept, Banadibhata, is refrain. It's a, it's a, a guideline not a commandment. Refrain from intentionally taking the life of a, at least another human being. You know, they haven't getting into animals yet, but there's uh, putting it, Banadibhata, uh, in, in just that level. Now this is a way of reflecting, not on commandments from God telling us what's right and wrong, but guidelines for behavior to learn, to observe. So at least the basic moral agreement in any society is not to intentionally kill another human being. That's, that would be, you know, something very skillful in any society. Like capital punishment is, a, is, is a, you know, a betrayal of that, isn't it? Where we, we, the society can kill somebody. But in, in terms of... Uh, uh, Say just moral agreement, how we're going to live together is Banadibata is absolutely necessary. Intention too. Sometimes, you know a, somebody runs out in front of your car and you run over them and they die, that's not intentional. So the Buddha was placing this, you know, on, you know, in a way that it, we learn, we, we can be mindful. We're not, you know, when we're superstitious, then we think if if somebody runs out in front of my car and I and I happen to kill them by accident, but not by intention, I could spend the rest of my life feeling worried about the karmic effect of that, and I'm a murderer and. What not, and all from the Sakya Ditti Silabhata which he keeps level. Now, intention, and is uh, what is my intention for living the holy life? Is to be free from delusion. That doesn't mean that every moment I'm free from delusion. But that's my intention when you when you take the the Bapa Chaupasampada ceremonies. And I might even feel like murdering somebody. You know, I'm certainly capable of feeling so enraged that I want to murder. I felt murderous at times in monastic life. But I don't do it. Because it's Brachika, I'd have to disrobe. <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, I'm willing to look at that in myself. The brute, the murderer, that, that kind of energy. I'm not afraid of it because I know it. You know, so it, it's not, you know, I'm not trying to be a saint and, and a kind of celestial monk. But recognize the human, human, uh, the range of experience from demonic to angelic. 
then I can recognize in my own uh, experience. So it's, you know, and then, then of course the, the, uh, the, the Vinaya, the Sila, the precepts, all these are, these are guidelines, helpful guidelines. Not for uh, attachment out of avicca, but for uh, agreements on how we're going to live together in, in this way, to, to, to at least on the conventional level, you know, we, we trust each other, we're not here, we're nobody, we're not here to kill each other or abuse each other intentionally or lie or, you know, take advantage of each other. So the 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 sila then and the the uh, like vinaya for monks and nuns. It's these are these are guidelines, helpful guidelines for awareness. In which we can we can uh, reflect on our own feelings without feeling guilty. If I idolize monasticism, like a good monk should only feel compassion, you know, and, and when somebody really does something despicable to me, I just say, well, you know, we all have our karma and, and I understand, I feel karuna for you. And on the level of the intellect, I might be able to say that even, because I know that. I know that I should feel compassion. But then what do I really feel, you know, when somebody really abuses me or, you know, takes advantage of me in some way and then emotionally, what's it like? I know I should feel compassion and be reasonable and all that, but then on the emotional level, it's like this. So the the puru, the buto, knows the emotion as, it's like this. And it, it knows the emotion, not judging it. He doesn't say, you shouldn't feel like that. A good bhikkhu shouldn't feel uh, the desire to murder, that you're wicked. That's, that's from the intellect, isn't it? That's the judging intellect, the superego. You shouldn't have those kind of thoughts. Those are wicked. But the Puru knows that the desire, the feeling of wanting to murder another monk is like this. It arises, ceases. And so you're seeing it in terms of Dhamma. Your refuge is in Buddha Dhamma Sangha rather than in, in the goodness itself or trying to, to create a, a, a celestial garden. with uh, properly behaved lions. So this, to encourage you to using the buto and all these, uh, these skillful means for awareness. But uh, you know, the, the one thing with with uh, 
the Dhamma is that you, you know, you it's very much seeing things as they are. So Bhutto and Buddha is is not just a an image or a past sage. It's, it's very you know we we take refuge in the in this knowing, being this knowing, being awake, being Bhutto. And then what does Bhutto know? Knows the Dhamma, the Dhammo, the, the way things are. So then this, this conventional form that we call Buddhism is, and Buddhism is not a very good term actually, it's Dhamma. The Buddha taught Dhamma the way it is. He didn't teach Buddhism. So the, even this word, English word Buddhism is, you know, that covers everything. Anybody that, they say, what is a Buddhist? It could be anyone who says they're a Buddhist. It's not. It's, it's, we don't have strict definitions. And somebody said, well, to be a Buddhist, you have to keep the five precepts. No, you don't. You have to believe in karma. Those are opinions and views. You know, uh, you know what a, a proper Buddhist should be, and and uh, all that. But that that's on the worldly level. But notice, like like the Buddha points to Dhamma, the way things are, the truth, which is is uh, you know. You can't put an ist on that. You can't say a dhamma ist. And then for the sake of the society, say, are you a Buddhist? I say, yes. <laughs> because, I mean, that's the parlance of the time. That's the, the way they use the word. But, but you know, and when people get too fussy about what is a real Buddhist, I, I, get, I feel kind of sick in my stomach. I don't want to even go into that. And are the Soko Gakkai really Buddhists? Or the New Kadampa? These are the questions of, you know, modern British Buddhists. Can we consider uh, uh, the... Um, Namo Myoho Renge Kyo is real Buddhists, or <laughs> people have all kinds of opinions on this, and uh, so why not? This why why do we have to say put it down into that you have to be a real Buddhist, and then you get this into this very righteous mode. But then, in terms of Bhavana meditation, and it, then we're not becoming Buddhists or real, we're better Buddhists than somebody else, and actually applying it, using it, like learning the, how to use this convention. So it works, so it, you know, it, you're actually being liberated, you're, you're enlightened, seeing things as they are, rather than becoming a proper Buddhist according to someone else's idea or viewpoint. So I'll stop here.